0: Good morning, church. Uh, Hey, before we get into our sermon, which is going to be in Ruth chapter 3, so if you have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn there. But before we get there, um, I want us to take a moment and pray for some people in the room, okay? So uh, this week or this weekend marks the episode in everybody's life that has kids or is an educator where we're headed back toward the hectic schedule of getting up and packing lunches and going back to school. So... Um, I want to just ask if you're an educator in any way, home educator or you work in colleges, universities, a medical center or uh, any of the high schools home schools around raise your hand we're going to pray for you okay go ahead and raise them high, look around you now if you have a, uh, if you're an, a student in any way from medical school to a student graduate uh, high school college grade school, raise your hand now there's a whole list of people that are in the rooms uh, that to the right and to the left back there that are also going back to school this week. Now, if you have a kid who's a student, raise your hand. You know what I really should have done? I should have just said, anybody not sending someone back to school this week? Because that would have said, this is the group of people who needs to be really interceding for the rest of us. So I want us to pray for these groups of people. There's a lot going on in this season where it feels like you're juggling a ton. There's a lot of things to remember, lots of things that we forget. Um, And so let's just ask the Lord for his blessing uh, over this season as we make this next transition back to school. Father, I thank you for those who work in public education, private in their homes, if they're educating their families or their kids or other people's kids or adults in any way, God, we pray that you'd be with them just as you see them and you're aware of the peak in stress right now of returning back to uh, the hustle. Father, I pray that we would turn our attention and just consider, Lord, how you might help them. And we ask, Lord, for your grace towards them today. For those that are going to learn, we pray that you'd be with them as well, that you would just support them, guide them. Um, I pray that the young minds in this room and outside of this room that are being shaped every day by educators, we pray that you would developing them a hunger for your truth. Truth that comes ultimately from the world that you've created, from your plan for creation. In all the order that you've brought to creation, I pray that you would reveal it to them in ways and that they would return back with praise to you, God. Pray that you'd be glorified in all of these things and we just, we acknowledge your lordship over all of them. Pray that you'd help us to return to our rest in you, as we're most likely weary and tired. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, we get to chapter three today. Before I get there, if you're a guest with us, uh, we want you to know that we don't always cover scandalous topics in church. But this Sunday, particular, we're going to go through a passage of Scripture that would raise eyebrows for any generation, okay? So, even in the most uh, liberal generation or just progressive, you're going to read this passage and go, oh my goodness. What is going on here, okay? But we believe all of God's Word is inspired by Him. It's all, it all points back to His glory, His character, His nature. And so we're going to ask that the Lord would speak to us through this. We've been in the story, the narrative of Ruth. This is our fourth week. We're in the ch- third chapter. And I want to do a quick recap of what's happened thus far. We find this story in the period of Judges, which was a really terrible time for God's people. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Lots of promiscuity, lots of idolatry, lots of people worshiping other idols, not God himself, and lots of God's judgment and redemption and people crying out. We call it this cycle where he's he's letting them have the consequences of their sin. They're crying out to him and then they return to him. This happens over and over and over throughout the period of Judges. And we open up the book of Ruth Uh, To a story that's in the middle of a famine and a family of a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. They have two sons. During this famine, they leave from Bethlehem, the house of bread, for Moab. As soon as they get there, we don't know how soon after, but somewhere close after, the husband of the father of this family, Elimelech, dies. Naomi's left there with her two sons who take Moabite wives. They both die, and now she's left as a mother-in-law, two daughters-in-law, all three widows. And they begin to head back because they have this great need for food and God's provision and protection for them. And they hear that God is working. He's providing for his people back in Bethlehem. So they get back, Ruth Just so happens to go out gleaning in a just so happens to be field of Boaz, this guy who just so happens to be a redeemer of this family. He's a close relative of Elimelech, the man who's died. And she comes back, both full and ready to receive more. And she tells Naomi, her mother in law, Ruth does, hey, I've been taken care of. And she says, you need to stay in this place, stay in this field. Throughout the season of harvest, food is taken care of, but there's still no family. They're living together, and that's how the end of chapter 2 uh, concludes. And here in this pa- passage, we pick up the next chapter of how God is showing faithfulness and kindness to provide and to protect these two widows. Now, as we turn to this passage, just <laughs> I have prayed, Lord, help me. Help me to read this and not read too far beyond what it says or not go below what it says and just say, Lord, speak to us. I want to invite you to pray that with me as we read this passage, starting in verse one of chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if He will not redeem you, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, Let it not be known, let let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, and he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth 3, 1-18. This is the word of the Lord. Say it with me. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us in this room torn between action and waiting and faith and wondering that you would provide for us clarity today about what it looks like to walk with faith and to see your faithfulness demonstrated in our lives. I pray that this would be so in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, someone asked me a question related to God's sovereignty and man's agency. The question that every pastor is like, oh no, when is this going to come about? This mystery intention for which the Bible seems to hold no confusion or doesn't feel at odds with itself. It's just this beautiful mixture of agency and responsibility and God's hand at work through all of it, beautifully bringing about redemptive stories for each of us and together as God's people. Now, in this story, we see a good measure of human agency taken on and God's sovereignty being played out in all of it beautifully and mysteriously. And in the midst of it, a lot of times reading this particular passage, I would ask the question okay, what's going on here? Is this okay? Is this all right? And at the conclusion, ultimately, we see that God's faithful to work through both the messy, uh, uh, where it leaves you wondering, what are they doing? His plan reigns above all of it. There's two main characters in this passage and a third, Ruth. And both of these characters, Naomi and Boaz, have a good deal to say about how Ruth should be treated. There's lots of places in God's word that might make you blush. Um, And for me, I would say this is one of those places where you wonder what is going on. Now, I just want to walk through the passage and I'm just going to take one verse at a time and say, Lord, would you speak to us and help us to discern what is wisdom for us today? And I'm going to divide it into four categories today. We're going to look at first Naomi's plan. In Ruth's proposal, Boaz's response, his pledge to her to take care of her. And lastly, consider how does God show himself faithful through all of these things. Look at verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, what's assumed in this is that there is a problem. There's two women that are vulnerable. They had felt their need for provision, for protection. They also are in living during a time where they definitely needed a man to uh, to protect them and to provide for them, to make sure that they had all that they needed to work, to uh, provide a way for them. There's nobody in this story that can work out a deal with Boaz to take care of them. And so in this moment, you see Naomi hatching a plan. Now, This very first part of her plan, it sounds very similar to what she's prayed for Ruth in chapter 1. Back in chapter 1, when they're leaving Moab and heading back to Bethlehem, she's like, look, you guys need to stay here. The Lord bless you, help you to find rest in the house of your husband. I hope things will go well for you. And as she had prayed this this blessing over her uh, in chapter 1, she's answering what she had prayed for her in chapter one and chapter three. She's saying, maybe I'll be the one who seeks out a plan to find rest for you. Now, one of the most difficult things I've found in the Christian life is discerning when God wants you to wait and when He wants you to act. When you uh, want to move forward. Just this past week, anybody been at the four-way stop and everybody's like hitting the gas and the brakes and the gas and the brakes? There's sometimes when it looks like this lovely dance of knowing And there's other times when it looks like a lot of confused faces around a four-way stop where people are going, should we act or should we not? And I think that question rests over all that's happening in chapter 3. She's seeking to make her prayers for Ruth a reality of rest in the house of her husband. Now she presents this opportunity. Here's Boaz. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? Few things in this. Number one, he's qualified to redeem them. He's a relative. Now, If you didn't grow up in this time of the world, this is part of God's plan for protecting and providing for his people, to fill on his promise that they would have physical provision and a land that belongs to them. And if anything happened in one family line, a brother-in-law or closest of kin was called to take care of his relatives, and that's what it means to be a redeemer. Now, God has referred to himself as a redeemer, and he also would demonstrate this characteristic of himself through his people, and specifically in this story, through Boaz. But there was this expectation for God's people. He had made them his representatives in the world. He's showing off what he's like through them as his people. And in this instance, there's an anticipated way that his people would represent him in the context of brokenness. Specifically, if someone came on hard times or they sold themselves into slavery due to debt or found themselves a widow, a kinsman, someone who was close relative to them, would step up and take care of them and say, hey, I'll take care of your needs. And this person was referred to as their redeemer. God refers to himself as the redeemer of his people in Exodus chapter 6 when they're coming out of slavery, out of Egypt and crossing over, he's saying, I am your redeemer. I'm going to redeem you for myself. And so she's saying, hey, this man is uniquely qualified to do this act of redemption for us. He's going to be someone who's close, in, uh, a close relative of ours, specifically to Elimelech. He's not just a relative, but he's someone with you your young women you were. Now, in other words, she's saying he's proven to be faithful and that he not only provided for you, but he protected you. In chapter two, he says, I want you to stay with my young women because they're, that's where you're going to be safe. So he's qualified, he's proven, and then she lays out the plan. There's a specific timing. Uh, tonight, he's going to be winnowing barley. At the end of harvest, they would take something to the threshing floor, all of their grains, they would throw them up And that's what it meant to be winnowed. It would separate the grains from the chaff. And all the men would come there in order to to guard over the fruits of their labor. They would most likely sleep there, lots of them. Obviously, Boaz is sleeping there. And this presented an opportunity, okay? (laughs) It's nighttime, it's covert, there's secrecy rather than make some kind of appeal during the daylight where they could be rejected or Boaz could be embarrassed. She goes there. And maybe this is wisdom, maybe this is just shrewdness, maybe it's a mixture of both. She gets there at the end of a long night and she says, Once he's eaten and drank and he's satisfied, watch where he lays down. You can just imagine Ruth taking all this in and imagine sneaking up to the threshing floor, right? What's the plan? I just want to point out, it's not wrong to look for the best opportunity, to imagine the best chances you got, okay? It's not wrong to go take a bath and look beautiful. None of that is wrong, okay? Then she lays it out. Wash, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, everyone reading this eyebrows would have raised, okay? This isn't like some unknown tradition that they held that we don't have. Everyone in every generation would have heard her saying, you're going to go where he's sleeping and where he's very satisfied and he's drank a little bit. Go uncover his feet. Lay down there. Tell him He'll tell you what to do. So he tells her to prepare herself, wait to the right time, go there. And she replies in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. Maybe Ruth is in her mind saying, this just might work. Or maybe she's saying, "Uh, (laughs) all right, I guess this is okay because an older woman from this culture is telling me to do this. Either way, she agrees. Let's look at her proposal. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. I want you to picture this with me for a moment. Imagine this young, vulnerable widow waiting in the wings, watching in cover of darkness with her cloak, him eating, drinking, maybe a campfire is happening, there's people laughing, people celebrating. And at the end of a long night, and I just picture also Boaz is the guy who spent exactly the right amount of time socializing with his workers, right? He goes to take a sleep. He lies down, and Ruth watches him where he lies down. You don't want to uncover the wrong feet, right? (laughs) That's him right over there. She lies down. I'm not imagining that she's falling asleep. She's laying there, eyes wide open, okay? Who could fall asleep in a moment like this? Right next to his feet, waiting, wondering, lying awake. Now this is the kind of story uh, that doesn't get told until there's enough time so that no one's embarrassed by it, right? Somewhere down the line, someone tells this story. And I can just imagine the profile that she has in her mind. If she was creating like an EHarmony or Match.com profile today, beautiful, good-looking, hard-working young woman gets up early works till late. Foreigner also, a widow also. Got a mother-in-law, she comes with me, she's part of the deal. And she's got lots of ideas about how we can take care of ourselves, okay? (laughs) She lies there and wondering, I can just imagine she's going through the reasons that maybe he will love me, maybe he will not. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. Here's the list of reasons. He did say that I was excellent. He did give me extra food, he did invite me to dinner, he did do the all of these things. When I said, Why are you showing me such kindness? He's like, You're an excellent woman. He did say all of that. He loves me not. She's pulling off the pedals. He loves me not. Well, I am a woman proposing to a man. He is a lot older than me. There's really no way for an older man to propose. I get it, but I am younger than him. There's a field worker proposing to the field owner. There's a foreigner proposing to a native. And there he is lying there while she's wide awake, wondering, and he wakes up, maybe startled that now his feet are uncovered. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. What in the world? Okay. A man, a woman, lying there in the dark, smelling good, at least one of them. (laughs) And he says to her, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And this word servant is different than the first time she says she's his servant. It's more personal. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, all the previous moments, it's kind of assumed that there's a crowd around them, right? Everyone's watching them interact. This is this first intimate one-on-one moment. What's going to happen? And she's making a proposal to him. She's saying, I would like for you to marry me. She's basically saying, I need you to be the answer to the prayer that you've prayed. Back in chapter two, Boaz speaks a blessing over her and he says, the Lord repay you for all that you've done. Now that you've taken refuge in him, you've come to be refuge under his wings. And she's saying, I'd like for you to be God's active way of answering your prayer for me. Now, we're going to go off the rails here for a little bit because I want to ask two questions before we keep going through the passage. First of all, was this a good plan? I mean, everybody's wondering that question. Is this some kind of good plan? I definitely do not want my daughter to follow this plan for getting a man, okay? Second question is how would we respond before we move forward? I just want us to pause for a moment because all the wisdom literature would present scenarios and stories like this and say, "Okay, Where do you read yourself into the story? It's okay to do that and say, what's this like? Now, in this situation, this plan turns out okay. It turns out all right. And this is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, they're not laying out a plan to get a man, okay? This is not the way you do it. And and the reason I know is that there's lots of stories, lots more stories where there's a vulnerable lady who presents herself in a vulnerable way and unfortunately she's taken advantage of and she's a victim in moments like this. Now in this moment, it turns out okay. But we shouldn't read it and say by any means necessary, the end will justify the means, right? That's not what it's inviting us to say. My personal opinion, because that's what you get today on Sunday morning, is that this is not a good plan, okay? This is not a good way. And you can take it or leave it as Nathan's personal opinion, because the Bible doesn't even speak to this. It just says, here, what are you going to do with this? There's a lady visiting a man in the middle of the night, and his heart is merry. She smells nice. She's come there in privacy and in darkness. And I'm just going to offer you that Nathan says, this is not a good way, okay? Okay? Is this careful or careless? I would say it definitely verges more on the careless side of risky, right? There's a way in which their plan, if it didn't work out with Boaz, okay, it was a singular option. It looks as if Naomi has tunnel vision for this being the only way that they could be redeemed. Now, Boaz, on the other hand, he says, I'm not the only way that you guys could be safe. Naomi's looking at it going, You need to put it all on the line. He's the only way we're going to be safe. Or at least it appears that way. Because if things went poorly, he's their only option. In fact, he tries to cover up and say, Don't tell anyone she came here in the middle of the night. He covers over her reputation in the future. So in the Disney version of this story, it all works out great. They've known each other for five minutes and it works. But look, reality looks really different than Disney. He's a one of their potential relatives, not the one, okay? And the world wants to tell you that there is a one and only singular mate that you can have, and you're looking for the perfect, most compatible person that you could possibly meet. And for some of you, you're like still wondering, when is the most compatible person going to meet? Some of you that are married are wondering, how is this person going to be compatible? The Bible doesn't describe marriage that way. The one that you're called to love, that you've made a commitment to, that's the one for you, okay? It's not the only one you could have married, but it's the one you're married to. If you believe that the person is the only possible option when you're dating, or the only possible option you could be happy with or provided for through, um, that is not the groundwork for a healthy relationship, okay? Okay? healthy relationships start with a good ability to be self-differentiated. Or in other words, you don't need this person. Now in their case, they're vulnerable and they definitely need one of their relatives to provide for them. Okay. But in the ways that it applies to dating, we don't have to have one singular person that God has ordained for us. Look, there is one person, but you don't know until you're married. Okay. So, the other thing that I would say that looks anxious about this is it looks like they're trying to create a scenario where Boaz is on the hook for redemption so that redemption is owed to them instead of something they're requesting. Anytime you bring something to someone and you're trying to get them on the hook so that they owe you something in return, it is a poor way to navigate relationships, okay? It's, it's definitely not the way to navigate your relationship with God he will not be turned into a slave, okay? You can't like do something so that he owes you redemption. So is Naomi acting in a shrewd way uh, that would be wise for a woman? It's definitely shrewd, not sure that it's wise. Are they outside the bounds? Well, Scripture doesn't offer us an endorsement or correction, but you see a distinct contrast with how Boaz treats the vulnerability and how Naomi takes the risks. In fact, he tells her not to be afraid in the next verse, which means that she would be dumb not to be afraid with the scenario that she's just stepped into. At least seems like a plan to obligate Boaz or to make the appearance that maybe he slept with her by the next morning and what do you know, now I'm redeemed. I just, I just want to point out that many times our most anxious, hurried actions come from some place of deep vulnerability seeking to avoid the same rejections that we felt as a kid. Look, there's lots of ways where I feel the most anxious about my kids, where I'm anticipating the vulnerabilities that I experienced as a kid. And in this way, she's hopeful, yes, but she's also acting out of anxiety that she wants to protect herself and Ruth from the vulnerability that they've been experiencing. So what's she hopeful for? She's hopeful for rest, provision, that things would go well it's not just provocative, it's risky. And second question I want to ask. So second question is this, how would you respond to this vulnerable request? I want you to imagine a man, a tired, satisfied, successful man, finishing a season of harvest, full of food and likely wine, his heart is merry. He's resting in the glad receiving that he's experienced of the crops. God's provided everything in this season. He's just receiving gifts, and suddenly he wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's a woman at his feet. What do you do with a vulnerable moment like this? And in this moment, it reveals Boaz's character. It it reveals something about him. And if I were writing the screenplay, there'd be a couple flashback moments in this moment, okay? If I were writing the screenplay, you got a flashback to, to Boaz as a kid. Boaz is a little kid and he's hearing stories about his mom. His mom is this unlikely hero in the story of God's people. She's also a Moabite woman. She's not in Ruth. You have to go all the way back to Joshua chapter 2 to find Boaz's mom. She's a lady named Rahab. She is a prostitute who has long been taken advantage of by men. Lots of men have taken advantage of her. And she hears this story of God working among His group of people, delivering. She hears this story of Him drying up the sea and them walking through on dry land. And she begins to hear the reputation. And she, she, as people are telling these stories of God's people, she describes it as everyone who hears it, their hearts melt, okay? Now this isn't like hearts melt when you see a puppy. This is like hearts melt, knees knocking. We're going to be destroyed by this people group because God is on their side, okay? Multiple times in Joshua 2 and, chapter, and Joshua 6, she's saying like everybody who's heard the story of God's people, they're scared. And here she is working as a prostitute in a town where God's people are marching forward. Joshua sends two spies over. These two spies show up and they find a host in a lady named Rahab. She's friendly to them. She welcomes them in. And there's people that come looking for these two spies and she hides them on her roof. And in this moment, she cuts a deal with the spies of God. She says, hey, I I will protect you. And as I've shown kindness to you, I'm gonna ask that you show kindness to my family, to my brothers, my sisters, my mom, and my dad. Now, at this point, we don't know if she's married or not, but we know that she marries an Israelite. She's taken into God's people. She hides them. They take her in and give her refuge. Now, in this moment in Ruth's story, I just imagine there being, for the screenplay, of course, there's, there's a flashback to Boaz, a child listening to his mom tell stories of being a prostitute and then coming to God's people and being redeemed and then marrying a noble man in the people of Israel and then giving birth to a man named Boaz. And here he is, a grown man. Maybe it's been 60, 70 years ago that all these things had happened to his mom. And now he's in this vulnerable place. And the story that his mom had experienced changed the story that he was telling with his life. He has a story. (laughs) He has a story that influences and completely changes Ruth's story. Now, she also has a story. I already mentioned this a few weeks ago, but Ruth, she has a story, okay? A story, an origin story of her people that really needs redemption in this moment, okay? It really needs redemption because she's one of two widows coming to a man in the dark of night asking and desperate, okay? That's the story of the Moabite people. Rewind, Genesis 19, there's two daughters of Lot. They're both desperate and they look around and say, there's no man left for us that will take care of us. And in the middle of the night, they plot, they get their dad drunk, they have sex with him and have a child and they have sex, they have this child, his name is Moab, who, who becomes the Moabite people. Seems really strange, dissimilarities, doesn't it? You got two desperate widows looking for redemption. And in this vulnerable moment, the story is completely redeemed. It's changed. Both of their stories collide. And I just want you to know that in the period of Judges, it would have been no thing them to act out in sexual immorality. There was no one who would have judged him at this time other than God. There's nobody looking around going, you really shouldn't, Boaz. In this moment, the story changes for both of them. Boaz, here again in this chapter, he presents himself as a faithful man. And so as I ask the question, how does Boaz respond? How do we respond when the most vulnerable parts of someone's story is presented to us and we have the opportunity to act out faithfulness or to act out taking advantage of someone's vulnerability? And he acts out in faithfulness. He makes a pledge to her. And I want to go through several observations about him and his response to her. First, look at verse 10. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He blesses her. Look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. He speaks to her emotions He's not just making a promise he's going to take care of. He's saying, I see that you're afraid. I see that you're vulnerable. He speaks to it. And then he says, I will do for you all that you ask for my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. He not only speaks blessing, he speaks to her emotion. And then he speaks honor over her saying, hey, your reputation precedes you. Everyone knows that you're this noble, excellent woman who's taking care of your mother-in-law. Now, here's an interesting moment. Also doesn't work out with a Disney story. He looks at her and says, it's true that I'm a redeemer, but I'm not the only one. If there's a redeemer nearer than I, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, this is not indifference, okay? This isn't like, if He wants you, good, cool, whatever. Uh, one of the ladies in our small group pointed out last week when we were discussing this, they are like, He knew where the Redeemer lived. Like, He knew there was one closer than Him. He knew. He had done His homework about Naomi and Ruth. And in this moment, it's interesting, He knows immediately that He's not the only one. He knows the guy that's closer. He's likely thought about it. And He promises to take action He promises that he will, whether by himself or through someone else, he'll make sure that these two women are taken care of. And then he takes care of her even more. He says, lie down until the morning. I want you to stay here because it could be dangerous. It it would be dangerous for her out there. He doesn't want her to take any more risk. He keeps her there. And he not only protects her physically, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, he tells everyone who's seen her, do not tell anyone that she's come through the threshing floor. Now this could be for concern over her reputation. This could be that he's already mapped out a plan to be the first in line to redeem them. Either way, he protects her, okay, in this moment. He says, bring the garment. And he not only gives her his promise, he gives her a pledge A deposit of this grain and he says I want you to take all this home and this excellent man knows that the mother-in-law is going to be there wondering okay how'd it go (laughs) make sure you take this back so that she's really assured she doesn't need to do anything else crazy like she did last night this is (laughs) but this is it okay He keeps her near, he blesses and honors her, he speaks to her, he protects her, he provides for her. And in this moment, he demonstrates God's faithfulness in his actions. Now, I want to be careful. Boaz is not some type of Christ, okay? He's not like everything about him looks like Jesus. No, but he is demonstrating the faithfulness of God. He acts within God's order of love. He's saying, I want to do this, but I'm going to do it in the right way. Now, before I move, we need men like this. I don't want to move on to what God's did. We need men that'll look at a vulnerable situation and change the story from taking advantage of women to protecting and providing, to fighting to preserve their purity rather than exposing them. And he acts out within the order of God's world and he orders his love. He promises to do it in the right way. Now, for those of you who are victims in this room, some of you are victims uh, of yourself, of your own anxious toils, and a lot of you are victims of other people taking advantage of you in a vulnerable situation. What I want you to know is that God is still working. Wherever you're at, no matter how low the plot line has been drawn for you, it's this present moment is one plot line on the story. That God is telling. It's one plot line. This moment is one dot, and God ultimately determines when the story is over. And in this moment, the story could have been over for Ruth, but it wasn't. God demonstrates his faithfulness. He's not finished yet. And some of you are anxious and fearful and toiling right now. And it's gotten you into vulnerable places. And for whatever part you need to own about that, you own it. And also just know that God is demonstrating faithfulness through people right now. True leadership means that there's people that are more concerned with someone else's flourishing than their own. God is developing leaders like that through the life of the church. He acts in those ways over and over and over. Look, this story gets changed. We need men of valor like that. And can you imagine the ridiculous humor of the close of this chapter? Now, six measures of barley, I understand, is a whole lot. And maybe women were just stronger. You know, they've been hitting CrossFit a lot. She walks in with this big bundle of grain that's a ridiculous amount. And I don't know if, if Naomi can see it and says, "Tell me how things went. Or if she's like, hey, check the bag outside. Either way, she reveals it and says, look, things are going to be okay. Look at verse 18. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In this picture of these two widows waiting with hope. Now, they're completely assured. The first of the story starts out with them completely, recklessly, anxiously trying to bring it about. And at the close, they're going, it's going to be okay. God's going to take care of us. And he shows off his faithfulness. God is answering the prayers of both Naomi and of Boaz in this display of the story. He's showing off his faithfulness. He sees them, he, and they both become the answer to their prayers for Ruth. He shows off his faithfulness in providing for and protecting them. Ultimately, you see all of these coincidences, and I put that in air quotes. It just so happened all throughout. The way that we see God's faithfulness or walk the walk of faith is sometimes like walking in reverse, right? You can't see what's in front of you. All you can see is the peripheral of the present, but you can look at his hand at the past and say, hey, he's been at work in all these things. He's working it all together for my good and for his glory. He's been doing that. And that's how we trace the story of Ruth. You look at the clothes and say, God was faithful to them through the whole entire story. And so that's the beauty of the story of Ruth." that yes, He's working through man's agency and people making decisions, some rash, and He somehow uses the sinful choices of man in a sinless way, and He redeems all of it, and now you have this beautiful close that we're going to get to next week. But ultimately, God's demonstrated His redemption towards us through Jesus. That's the pinnacle of God's faithfulness to His promises—that He would be a blessing to us and make us a blessing to others—and that we would be able to receive over and over and over this assurance that He's He will take care of our ultimate need, which is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians three says it this or 2, one thirteen says it this way: He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption forgiveness of sins. Over and over, he describes what he's doing for his people as redemption. And now we have this story to go with it. And to every time we read the word redemption, imagine a vulnerable widow that's being taken in by this man. God's working an even greater act of redemption and faithfulness towards everyone that would believe. And I want to close with this question. I really am done. Almost done how's god's faithfulness taking shape in my life and i want to ask it in three ways towards me to me and through me towards me in the, that we see how he's working around us through other people to me specifically in my redemption and salvation how's he working right now towards me to redeem my story to change the narrative of my life and then how is he working through me because Boaz, I mean, he, this, the book is named after Ruth, but he's pretty incredible. He's just a great, like in this moment that seems vulnerable for her, it's also vulnerable for him. And that vulnerability reveals like this great character. Well, he just takes care of her. How's God shaping his faithfulness in my life? Towards me, to me, and through me. Now, one of the most difficult things I've found, I already said this, is discerning when to wait and when to take action. The life of faith sometimes looks like a dance where you're waiting and moving and waiting and moving. And more times than that, it looks like a four-way stop, okay? It's just like, who's going to, are we going now? However it looks for you, ultimately God is the hero of the narrative. He takes all the mess, all the tension, all the ways that you're going, what was I thinking? And he works it together for good. My invitation to us is to return to our rest in that truth, that he's acting faithfully. And I just want us to worship in response to the answer to that question. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're like, I can't see it. I'm walking backwards and all that I see behind me is disaster. That's the case we want to pray for you today. I want to invite you just to come in your desperation. He will in no way cast you out. Anyone who comes to him, he knows how to give good gifts. He's a good father. And if you've been anxiously toiling to work out some arrangement for yourself, I just want to remind you, it's in vain that you might rise up early or go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. He loves to give us rest. for some people, maybe today coming to the communion table would be saying, hey, I'm resting in your provision and your protection and your faithfulness towards me. Let's pray to that end and then turn our gaze towards communion and worship. Lord, thank you, Lord, for this story. I just, I love the story of Ruth. The ways that you're working in the mess and in the trials, in the questions, Lord, just demonstrating your faithfulness over and over. We don't always see exactly what you're doing. Seems like over time... In our history as we walk with you, it seems like you're making provision over and over. I don't know how you're working right now in specific ways in each person in this room. I I would imagine there's lots of people who are at a desperate moment where they're wondering if they should take action or wait or what they should do. Father, I pray that you'd grant us faith and that we'd see your faithfulness over and over, providing and protecting, speaking kindness over us. I pray that we'd just receive that from you and that you would live that through us. In Jesus' name, amen.